Recently, I lost one of the dearest people in my life, Sister Teresa Dish. She was my counselor and spiritual director for more than 20 years, and she died on December 20th. It was and still is heartbreaking not to have her in this world any longer. I was honored and blessed beyond my wildest dreams to be invited to speak at her final services at the Adrian Dominican Mother House in Adrian, Michigan, two days after Christmas. Now, it would take hours of speaking to really tell a complete story of who she was and her impact on my life, but I, of course, needed to keep it a bit shorter than that. I began by telling them the story of how I met Teresa, how God placed her into my life at just the right time. I went to her because my marriage was in trouble, big trouble. And I assume, like many folks, I waited until the last five minutes of our first meeting to really lay out the truth of the train wreck that I was living. I concluded by saying, but divorce is not an option. Teresa tilted her head, nodded, and said, okay. And then before I left, she took out the book of Deuteronomy, and she opened it to chapter 30, verse 19, and she read to me, Today I place before you life and death, choose life. I nodded back, set up my next appointment, and left quite smug and sure that I knew where life lay for me. It lay in doing anything possible to keep that troubled marriage going. After all, I was Catholic. We had been together over two decades. We had three children. That was the right thing to do right? Well, it was just the beginning of Teresa teaching me in her gentle but firm way that life, the right thing, the thing that God calls us to do, often lies outside of what institutions, societies, culture, and even our religion would tell us. Life, true, abundant life, is often lurking in the places we never seem to look. It was many, many months of Teresa listening to my tales of an abusive marriage that I refused to label as such, and she would simply ask questions, nudging me to look deeper and question more authentically what the truth was. Finally, there was a last straw event at home, and I knew in my heart where life really lay for me and my children. I realized with great clarity that this was not life I was living, but death. When I announced to her quietly and with great sadness, I think I need to get a divorce, she sadly nodded her head in support and affirmation. It was the first of many instances where she helped me find life, true life, in situations that were dead for me. She helped me over the years to look for life in places where I least expected to find it. She taught me that God's version of full and abundant life is given by God, and to find that life, I needed to be willing to let go of what this world might tell me about where true life could be found. And I tell you, with all truthfulness, I would not be standing in this pulpit without her influence and her guidance. I keep finding myself returning to this lesson Teresa taught me, this text from Deuteronomy that she lived her life by as we study John's gospel this winter. 
Because really at the simplest, John's desire to get us to know Jesus, to abide with the living Christ, to let the word made flesh pitch its tent in our hearts, the purpose is so that we will be able to choose life over death, to find abundant flowing life in the here and now, not just as a reward in the life that comes next. The thing that is a challenge, of course, is where do we look for that life? Where do we find it? I'm sure you've noticed by now that John's gospel is full of these rich and detailed stories about Jesus' interactions with individuals. It is the story of Jesus' relationships with people he met along the way during his life. And all those individuals seem to be looking for something just like we are but they often look in the wrong places for what is really standing right in front of them. The word made flesh, the gift of life, rich and full life. Remember, we had the angry mob of Jewish leaders when Jesus cleared the temple declaring that he was the temple, that he was the way to be in relationship with God. But they couldn't see that, right? Because they were looking in the wrong place. They were fixated on the temple, on the ways they thought they knew with certainty to be with God. They could not see the new thing. They could not see life for them was coming not from the temple, but from this man sent from God to dwell among them. We also met that unnamed woman at the well who did seem able to see Jesus as something more than he appeared at first glance. How? By engaging with him, by asking him questions, by stating her truths to him. And she moved from seeing him as a prophet to seeing him as a messiah to finally the full truth that he was the savior of the world. She found living water, abundant life, joy, and a purpose because she was able to discard what had always been. She was able to be open to some new and unexpected truth. She was able to look for life beyond the usual places the world told her to look. Today I set before you life, the living waters of life. Choose life. Then there was that man on the mat, not so sure he wanted to be healed. Yet Jesus nudged him into a life of health, a life that would look extremely different than sitting by the side of a pool day in and day out, hoping for a miracle that would never come that way. Yet a miracle did come his way, not just from when he was looking for it. Jesus basically said to him, today I set before you life and death, choose life, pick up your mat and walk. Last week, a crowd begged for more bread, a crowd of more than 5,000 that had eaten already to their heart's content, a crowd that was full, asking for more of the same, while the bread of life was standing right in front of them. They wanted more of what they knew, missing the true gift, a full and eternal life that Jesus promised. Like the man by the pool, they were looking in all the wrong places. And Jesus said to them, today I set before you the bread of life. Choose life, choose me. And today, who walks back into our story but Nicodemus? 
the Pharisee that came to Jesus by night so as not to be seen by his peers. He came to Jesus filled with questions. And Jesus said to him, under the moonlight that night, today, right now, sitting with you, Nick, is the choice between life and death. Choose life. Choose me. Choose the word made flesh. Choose the living Christ who wants to pitch a tent of love in your heart. Now, of course, Nicodemus was a lot like me in the story I told about myself today. He thought he knew all the right religious rules. He thought life was found in doing what they told him to do, in following the law. He, too, was looking for life in all the wrong places. And then we have those in our rather strange story today who are looking in the wrong places as well. Did you catch all the chatter about Galilee? The Jewish leaders are so sure that they know the story and how it is supposed to unfold in the future that the possibility of a Messiah from Galilee is impossible. Nowhere is it written, they claim, that a prophet, let alone the Messiah, can come from Galilee. They whip out the law as a tool of accusation. Only those who don't know the law could even consider this man a prophet. Case closed. We don't need to know anything more about this rebel rouser Jesus. He is just not from the right side of town. The law is all we need. I'm pretty sure they were not choosing life in this story. But in today's story, there are folks that seem to want to choose life, to believe this Jesus, to be in relationship with him, folks who want to drink the living waters, who want to eat of the living bread, who want to become streams of living waters themselves, because that is the promise in here. Those who let the word made flesh abide in their hearts, they will become streams of living waters for others, for the world. But the crowd is divided. There is confusion. Wait, isn't the Christ supposed to come from Bethlehem? This guy's from Galilee. I guess the joke will be on them in the end, right? Others want to arrest him, but no one seems to have the guts to make the move. The Pharisees grill the guards. Why the heck have you let him be? Why didn't you bring him in? That's your job, isn't it? The guards are conflicted. Yeah, yeah, that may be our job, but gee, have you listened to this guy? Never heard anybody speak the way he does before. We're, we're just, we're not sure. I'm kind of sure that didn't go over well with the Pharisees, insubordination, if you will. What do all these folks have in common? What did I have in common with them at the beginning of my story? Fear. Fear is what lies at the root of most of our own issues and problems. I was petrified to think about divorce, let alone say the word out loud. The Pharisees are afraid of losing their power and authority. Some in the crowd are afraid they might indeed be missing the real Messiah here, but they're also afraid of what might happen to them if they do follow him. Fear keeps us from seeing the truth about where we stand in life. Fear keeps us tied to laws and rules, thinking that we are safe and secure if we follow along the way we're supposed to according to the world. Fear keeps us stuck on our mats in places of death. Fear prevents us from seeing life when it is placed right in front of us. Fear keeps us from choosing life 
over death. And what are we afraid of? Well, I think that list might be endless, right? To name just a few fears that keep us in places of death, fear of being wrong, of being judged by others, fear of financial implications of our decisions, the fear of looking foolish to the world, the fear of being misunderstood, the fear of breaking the rules. That was always a big one for me. The fear of disappointing others, another one that kept me stuck to my mat at times. The fear of failure. The fear of rocking the boat. The fear of the unknown, what will happen. And a big one, a fear that we will suffer pain. That's just a beginning of a list. I'm sure you all have your own fears to add to that. The point is, all fears keep us stuck in places of death, places where God has put before us life and death, yet all we can see is the spot we are in right now. If we might glimpse life for a bit, it's just too scary to reach out for it. Yet we have seen what has happened to some of the characters in John's gospel when they let an encounter with Jesus change them. The woman at the well found a village The man on the mat walked into the temple, a place he had not been able to get into for 38 years. Nicodemus, well, the verdict is still out on him, but he stayed in the game, and he's continuing to ask his questions, and he will show up again. And of course, we saw Jesus himself choose life for a wedding and its hosts when he turned all that water into wine that kept the party going for days on end. Grace upon grace, abundant life flowing for all, living water, bread of life, all there for us simply by inviting the word made flesh to pitch a tent in our hearts. And when we do that, then indeed, we become rivers of flowing water for the rest of the world. What does this mean for us as a congregation? Well, congregations, believe it or not, are places where fears can be so deeply rooted that they are not recognizable as fears. I can tell you with all certainty I have never heard someone in a congregation say, oh, we are afraid to do that, or we're afraid to make that change, or we're afraid of what might happen. And yet, I believe it is exactly those fears that lie at the root of statements I have heard. Oh, we've never done it that way before. Or, oh, someone may be upset. Or, what if no one comes? Or, we've always had that event. You get the drift. Behind each of those statements is fear. Fear of what someone in the congregation will think or feel, fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of being wrong, fear of making a mistake. And yet, we are the very ones who proclaim that we are called to a different way of life, a transformed way of life, a life without fear. Do not be afraid. How many times do we hear that admonition in the Bible? 
I have come to see that instruction as going hand in hand with, today I set before you life and death. Do not be afraid. Choose life. Even if it makes no sense to the world, even if it rocks the boat, even if you don't know what the future looks like, choose life. When we choose life, when we choose the living Christ, living water will indeed gush from us and from our congregations. So right now, take one minute to think of where you have seen or experienced rivers of water gushing and streaming with life here at PCWS. Just even close your eyes if you need to. Rivers of gushing and streaming water of life here at PCWS. You will have experienced living waters in your own way, but I will share some of mine rather than putting you on the spot. That refugee family visit on February 5th, boy, oh boy, I felt the living waters flowing here. The beautiful music that we've had, some of the anthems that have been sung and just nail the theme and the sermon of the day, that's the Holy Spirit, friends. Our Christmas morning worship service in this space, Scott and I left just glowing and beaming. The family pop-up pageant on Christmas Eve, when we elected that terrific PNC and commissioned them all in one day, the Valentine's Day bags we made downstairs. My list is long and flowing, and I could go on and on. But the point is, think about how you felt inside if you experienced any of those as living water or whatever you said to yourself were living, flowing streams. How did you feel inside? And pay attention to those feelings because that's what we're aiming for. Those are the feelings produced from abundant life. Those are the feelings that point to the presence of the living Christ. And once you feel that, once you begin to pay attention to that, you not only long for more, but you get a bit better at letting go of fears and choosing life over death. Now, not all choices for life are as large as ending a relationship or changing jobs. There are little choices placed before us every day. But we walk around asleep, unaware of the dead places in our lives, we become blind to the ruts we are in, and we need something to shake us up and awake. The pandemic did that, right? It shook us up for good. Now the challenge is to see with fresh eyes where life lies, rather than employing all our energy trying to return to pre-pandemic life. Don't get me wrong. Choosing life doesn't mean the easy choice. In fact, most choices for life probably bring challenge and some pain. And yet, in some odd way of the universe, that's the only way that growth results. The fruitful, abundant life that results is the point, but there is a cost. What we always need to remember in that, though, is that we are held by the living Christ, that God cradles and cares for us, and in that care, we really cannot go wrong 
if we mess up, if we make a mistake, it is not the end of the world. It is not the end of the church. We always get to try again with our God. So, once again, as we try out some new things here at PCWS, as we let go of some old things, as we move from the mat we're used to into some new territory, as we change or surrender some of the things we have done in the past, don't forget, God is leading us, encouraging us, placing before us the chance for life every single day. What would we do if we were not afraid? Let's choose life together and become living streams for the world. Amen.